0: A number of years ago, there was a man by the name of William Shire, and he wrote a book entitled The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. He uh, was a historian, and he looked at uh, Germany during the age of, uh, well, World War II during that period, and uh, tried to put his finger on what happened. And when you think about it, it is an interesting uh, question and proposition. how, How did a civilized people, how did they... Do what they did. I mean, Germany at the time was a, an educated, industrialized, civilized nation. And yet, we know the atrocities, uh, that took place during that time, while apparently millions of people just kind of turned their head and paid no attention and gave little mind. And as we consider that question, I guess the answer to it really is best summed up by the British philosopher Edmund Burke who said that all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. And I think that is in a nutshell what happened. The foundations of that society crumbled around them at that time. And The question is raised, if the foundations are destroyed, what shall the righteous do? I don't know that we're going to ever be involved in some situation like that again, at least from our perspective and from our society. There there are other things that may be just as heinous uh, when you consider abortion and some of the things that we're involved in. But as children of God, as people trying to be faithful to him, and as we look around at society and we see some of the atrocities that take place, we ask the question too, what, what are we to do when the foundations around us are destroyed? I'm reminded of a little boy who once came into the, his mom was in the kitchen, he walked in very sheepishly and went up to her and said, mom, you know that priceless vase that we keep up on the mantel? that you say has been handed down from generation to generation in our family? She said, yes. And he said, well, this generation just broke it. And I sometimes feel that way about our generation, the time in which we live. There are so many long-held, cherished traditions that were moral and upright and ethical that this generation just seems to have totally discarded and and jettisoned for things that are much lower and, and much baser. And we ask ourselves the question, what are we to do? How do we stop this downward spiral and how do we keep ourselves from ending up like some other places that have suffered at their own hands because of their own decisions? Well that's what I want us to look at tonight is that question in Psalm eleven and verse three, where the psalmist said, If the righteous or if the foundations are destroyed, what shall the righteous do? I want to give you about four things tonight that the righteous should do if the foundations are destroyed. And the first thing is that the righteous should acknowledge the sovereignty and the presence of God. We're not alone. Sometimes it may feel like we're in the minority and that we're overwhelmed and we can't do anything about it and it's hopeless and it's helpless, but we're not alone. God is still sovereign. Sometimes we think that everything is in our power and it has to be in our control and if I don't get my hands or arms around the situation, it's a mess. There's no hope. We forget about God. Listen, God is in control no matter what happens. And I think that as we look at our society and see some of the things that take place, some of the laws, the rulings of our judges uh, with reference to marriage right now that seems to be... we're, We're redefining marriage, an institution that goes back to the beginning of time with Adam and Eve. And now we have taken upon ourselves something that no other culture has undertaken to redefine marriage between... Two men or two women, instead of the way God originated it. Uh, this, was, this is unheard of. This is groundbreaking territory that we 're in here. And so do we just despair, or is God still in control in spite of what we see? Well, I think it's really interesting. If you look in Psalm chapter eleven and verse three, there's the question that is raised: If the foundations be destroyed, What can the righteous do? And listen to what he says in the very next verse. That's one of those questions of, what are we going to do? How do we fix this? And the very first thing he says after the question is this affirmation. The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold His eyelids test the sons of men. God sees. The fact that things seem out of control doesn't mean they are. God is in control. And I think that's helpful to know. You know, when you read the book of Revelation, what you see there is a message by John to the church that was going to undergo a great persecution, many of which uh, many of the Christians at that time would not survive. They would... Give their life for the cause of Christ. And it was a very difficult time to be a Christian. And as you see, well, you come to chapter 5 in the book of Revelation. Well, to begin with, in chapter 4 and chapter 7, there are scenes of the throne room of heaven. And you know what you see? You don't see God standing up and pacing the floor and wringing his hands and he's just like agitated. You, You don't see that. The picture that John sees of God in his throne in Revelation 4 and in Revelation chapter 7, in the midst of all this persecution of his people, is God sitting on his throne and the angels are surrounded around him saying, Holy, holy, holy. There doesn't seem to be any panic in God's uh, situation. You come to Revelation chapter 5, and we get a picture of the souls that have been martyred. They've been beheaded, and they are underneath the altar, and they're crying out to God saying, How long, O Lord, how long until you avenge our blood? The Christians are being killed, and, and their blood has been spilled. And they're crying out for vengeance, for justification. It looks like a scene of defeat. Beheaded people, martyrs, you come to the book of Revelation chapter 20 and you know what you see? Those same martyrs who look defeated in chapter 5 are reigning with Christ behind the scenes. They're not defeated. God is still in control. The firm foundation of God stands regardless of what men may do. And so the first thing that I think that we need to do is to remember that God is in control and he can take the most out of control situation and redeem it if he wants or use it to teach some other lesson that needs to be instructed so don't despair God is still seeing his eyes behold you're not in this alone the god of this universe sees A second thing that we need to remember, if the foundations are destroyed, the righteous should pray. That's something we need to do. James 5 and verse 16, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails just a little. That's not the way the verse reads, is it? The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We need to pray. When's the last time you prayed for your nation? We can sit back and we can watch the news at night and get so depressed and discouraged. We see all these things that are taking place, the legislation that's taking place, all these trends that just take us away from God. And it gets discouraging and we can complain about it and we can moralize about it. But at the end of the day, when's the last time you prayed about it? I remember Paul said in First Timothy chapter two that it is our duty to pray for all men, but he mentions in in particular those in power, kings and rulers, authorities, that we might have a peaceable life here on this earth. We need to pray. And the reason for that is God hears our prayer. In Ephesians three and verse twenty, of course, you know the passage, how that God talking about our prayers, how that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even think. Well, I have a long ask list with some prayers, but to think that God can answer things and give things that I can't even get verbalized or, or get a good image of, He can do that too. The Bible tells us again in uh, Genesis chapter 18, as we look back at um, Sodom, the destruction of Sodom, Gomorrah, and the cities of the plains, how that Abraham bargained with God for the salvation of those cities. And while the ultimate responsibility for the destruction of those cities rested on there's the people of Sodom and the cities of the plains because they were sinners. Practically. What if there had been more intercessors on their behalf? What if there would have been more people like Abraham who petitioned God and sought for, you know, I know times when God was through with Israel and he talked to Moses or Moses made intercession because God said to Moses, get, get over there behind that rock over there because I want to just wipe these folks out. And Moses said, Lord, please, I know they've done wrong, but don't do that. Um, uh, he made intercession and God relented. Wonder if we could preserve our society as wicked as it is, if we would pray and make intercession for our people. If the foundations are being destroyed and crumbling around you, pray. That's what we can do. A third thing that we can do is if the foundations are destroyed, we should uh, call people to absolute truth. That's where we have the problem in the first place. We have forgotten what absolute truth is. Back about 25 years ago, Alan Bloom wrote a book entitled The Closing of the American Mind. He's an American philosopher. And one of the things that he said as he was a professor in a number of um, Ivy League-type schools, he said the one thing that is true of all the students that come to college nowadays is that they all come to us saying there is no absolute truth. Everything's subjective. Everything's debatable. Everything's up in the air. That's that's a problem. It sounds a whole lot like the days of Judges, when in Judges uh, chapter twenty-one and verse twenty-five it says that every man did what was right in his own eyes. And again, when I was younger, I thought that uh, as a child I thought, well, that's good. Everybody was doing right. No, that's not. That's not what it says. That's not a good thing. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. They weren't following the standard of God's Word for conduct. They were just doing what they thought was right. That's not a good idea. You've had enough dealings with people that can justify a whole lot of things and feel good about themselves when they're done with it, and you think those things are heinous. The fact that society would do whatever is right in their own mind there's no end to that. Before I moved, uh, well, last last year, just before we moved, I had a study with a young man who was formerly a, a faithful child of God. He had turned away and gone astray, and I talked with his mother some, and finally I, I got a meeting with him, and we met, and he said he didn't believe in God anymore, and uh, he had his reasons for it. But I said, listen. If there is no God, I just said, and I used, well, Brother Warren used this years ago when he debated flu, but I said, was what the Nazis did to the Jews, was that that wrong? And uh, he said, why? And so I went ahead and said, you know, if it's, if there's no absolute truth, then by what do you measure your conduct? Is it civil law? If it is, then they were justified in doing what they did because that's what they were told to do. Or is there a law that transcends civil laws or national borders? The Nuremberg trial said that there was a higher law that they were subject to and they were tried and judged on that basis. But, you know, because of his weddedness to this idea that there is no God, and if there is no God, there can't be an absolute moral standard, Values are independent and autonomous. Because he was wedded to that, he said, I can't really say if what they did was wicked or not. We end up taking foolish positions when we deny absolute truth. We paint ourselves in a corner that has no rationality, no reason in it at all. Of course it was wicked, the killing of that many people, the killing of one for that matter. But we have to call people back, not to our own system of what we think is right or wrong, but we need to call people back to truth. John 17 and verse 17 says, my word is truth. That's what we need to do with the foundation to destroy is to convince people to quit living for themselves, quit being their own God and come back to a standard of authority to which we must submit ourselves. We don't create the standard, we live to the expectations of the standard. Another thing, if the foundations are destroyed, the righteous should seek to establish proper values. We live in a crazy society sometimes. I heard of a tombstone in Berlin, Wisconsin. The tombstone, you know, what what do you say on your tombstone? I mean, that's the last thing, and that's what people for... Maybe generations, as they walk by, they'll see this little short message. What do you want yours to say? Loving father? Uh, God, godly wife? You know, I, I don't know. What, what do you want it to say? This guy said, bowed a 300 in 1963. Well, now, isn't that great? I mean, man, if I can put that on my tombstone, that I bowed a 300... Uh, I I heard of another man who... who, Well, you just look at some of the things that people uh, have great fame and claim to. One guy could put 17 golf balls in his mouth. Wow, 17 golf balls. That's something to be remembered for. We have people who pursue things that are as trivial as that, and it's their life's pursuit. It is everything that they are about. Do, Do you know people that have pursuits concerning things that are just absolutely meaningless well they're not bad for a hobby they're not bad to have fun with and to pass some time in entertainment and recreation but if that's all your life is you've missed the meaning of life we need to live our life for god and find purpose in that, that Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments for this is the whole of man. We need to live for God. That's what it's all about. Matthew 16 and verse 26, Jesus said, "What shall a profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? There's nothing worth that kind of a price. If the foundations are being destroyed, we need to call people back to proper values. If there are people who have lost their way and are pursuing courses that are trivial, we need to show them that there's a greater purpose in life, a greater reason for living. And then finally, if the foundations are destroyed, the righteous should evangelize the lost. That's what we should do. If you see problems and if you see uh, people in our society going in the wrong direction, the best thing you can do to stop it is to make Christians out of them. Because Christ calls us to a way of life that brings about an an honoring, a noble culture. As you go through the fruits of the Spirit in the book of Galatians, at the end of it, as he goes through this list of things, he says, and there's no law against those things. Nobody's against a person being good and kind and full of joy. and th- Those things don't have laws against them. We need to call people back. The gospel can change. It'll make you a new creation. Uh, 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, it, it can change a sinner into a saint. It can change a warmonger, some grumpy, always wanting to fight person, into a peacemaker. It can change a thief into a man who works and earns his money through honest labor. It can change a liar into a man who only speaks the truth. That's what the power of the gospel is. If the foundations are crumbling around us, the thing we need more desperately than anything else is to remind people that the gospel can change things for the better. The solution is not legislation, the solution is the gospel of Christ. Changing hearts, that's where you'll have success. Andrew Connolly, who's now deceased, was a gospel preacher for a number of years, spent a good bit of time in Africa. He had a man come over and visit one time. They went to a village and they were sitting there, having, well, preparing for dinner. And that man said, "Is it really worth it? I mean, you spend all these years over here in in Africa teaching these backward people. Is it really worth it?" And Brother Conley said, "Yeah, it's worth it." And he said, "Well, how how do you know?" And he said, Well, I'll tell you what. How do I know? I know because right now you're waiting to have a dinner with these people. And if it weren't for the gospel, you would be their dinner. I thought that was a good answer. (laughs) The gospel of Christ can change you, and we're glad for it, especially in some certain uh, situations. We need to evangelize. But as I look at our nation, I'm often concerned. I'm concerned just like you are. I, I see the things happening, the things that are... And I sometimes wonder, can we ever get back? Can we ever return to that innocence that we seem to once have as a people? I think the answer to that is yes. But it won't happen overnight. And again, it won't happen through legislation. It'll happen by... Us determining to embrace the gospel of Christ and to take that message fervently with purpose and with zeal, with urgency to people who need it and allow it to do its work. I remember on one occasion a prophet of God who lived at a time of crumbling foundations. His name was Habakkuk. And when he heard what God had in store for the people as a means of discipline, he was sick at his stomach. But at the end of it, he said, I hear what you say is going to happen to us. We're going to be invaded. The Chaldeans are going to destroy us. And that scares me. But at the end of the day, I'm going to trust in you. And I'm going to rejoice in the God of my salvation. And as you see the foundations of our society crumble, you just remember that God is in control. And first and foremost, you're not citizens of the United States of America. You are citizens of a heavenly kingdom, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that will stand forever, and that will someday be redeemed and will be rid of all those things that offend us and defame the name of God. Trust in God. And everything will be all right. That's the message. And that's how the book ends. Trust in God and everything will be all right. If you're here tonight and you're not yet a child of God, I encourage you to obey the gospel. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you haven't done that, do that tonight. That's the first step in trying to be a part of the solution to the crumbling foundations that we see around us. Obey Jesus. Live for Him. And if you're a child of God already but unfaithful and there are things in your life that are not the way they should be and you're maybe part of the problem and not part of the solution, ask His forgiveness and He'll forgive you. We'll pray with you to that end if you'll come as we stand together and sing.